Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Hey, how many of you guys are afraid of public speaking? Can I see your hands? Any of you afraid of public? There's a few people. And some of you, some of you are not afraid. That's awesome. You know that actually, I get a little nervous sometimes when I get up here. You may think that I don't sound like I'm a nervous person, but I, I'm afraid of public speaking. But I know how to get over it. I know how to deal with it. And uh, some people, you know, they've got different methods that they use for uh, being afraid, not being afraid of public speaking. One of the things that they say you can do is just stare at the wall. So like, you know, and I've done this before. I'm like, you know. I'm staring at the windows instead of staring at people because, you know, people can be intimidating. You guys are so intimidating. Uh, another one is you can stare at people's foreheads. So, you know, and it's okay if I'm at a distance, but if I'm like a foot away from you and I'm staring at your forehead, you're going you're gonna, to you go like this, you know, <laughs> is there something wrong? Um, that's another thing. Uh, or I could just be digging into my notes. And sometimes I do that. I try not to. Uh, when I was starting out, I remember uh, my wife, she's awesome, creative, creative, instructive, I don't know, it's not criticism, but just some advice. She's like, you know, your head's down too much. You need to start looking at people. So I started, I'm trying to do that, and I haven't taken any classes, but I'm working on it. Um, but, you know, that's a way to not be, you know, not get intimidated. You just stare at your notes and just read them and everything. Another thing that people do is visualize things. And uh, you may have heard of that classical thing, imagine the crowd is in their underwear, you know? And so you're <laughs> just, and, uh, uh, I do visualize, but I don't visualize that. I'll just, I'll share there. there. Um, this is what I visualize that makes me not afraid of public speaking. This is what helps me. I'll just show you. That. So that's what I see when I'm teaching the audience. So <laughs> who's afraid to teach puppy dogs? <laughs> All right. Hey, chapter 12, we're going to be comparing the church gathering to the physical body. So, all right. So let's take it, let's just pick it up at verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. And so, you know, here's this comparison to the physical body uh, Paul is using for the church body. And so you look at your body, look at my body. My body is one, right? I got, I've got two arms, two hands, two feet, you know, one head. Um, but they're all, and they're all different. They all serve different purposes. They're all different shapes. They have, they look differently. And yet they're all part of me. And, and Paul's point in this last portion of chapter 12 is that's the same with the body of Christ. Because, you know, the Corinthians, they had all their little factions, and there was, and it's kind of common in human nature is to, you know, you hang out with people that are just like you, and people that are different, they're different, you know? And so there's these divisions that people create. And with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's the same thing. People in, in Corinth, they had no issues with the, with the gifts of the Spirit. They were, I mean, it was flowing in their church. But they had other issues. They were a carnal church. And so, um, so Paul is going to be, in this last portion, using the human body as an example, as an illustration, to show that there's so many different parts, and yet we're one body, one body of Christ. And so in verse 13, he says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So the, the, the church body, the body of Christ, we all become members 
of the body of Christ the same way through the same means, right? We all do. We're all saved through faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. There's no other way to be saved. You can't, you know, well, I, I work. I just earn my salvation. I do a lot of good things. No, we all know that we're only saved by faith in Christ. And so Paul, uh, Paul, Paul is talking here about baptism. And he says we're all baptized into one body. Now, I don't believe that Paul is necessarily referring to water baptism, believer's baptism. I think what Paul is talking about is what baptism represents. And what, what does baptism represent? You know, if you go through the Bible, there's different baptisms. There's a baptism of Moses. There's a baptism of suffering. Of course, there's a baptism of John the Baptist. There's all these different bapti baptisms. But what they all have in common is what they mean. What baptism represents is it's an identification, an immersion into, and an identification with something or someone. Uh, later on in, in, I think it's in 1 Corinthians, maybe it's 2 Corinthians, um, Paul is talking about um, the, uh, the children of Israel. They were baptized into Moses. What does that mean? When they went through the wilderness with Moses, they were, they were all together. They're all identified with Moses. And, and so Paul here is talking about, I think, being identified or immersed into identified with the body of Christ through the one spirit that we each have. We all have been given the, the Holy Spirit. We've all been made to drink into one spirit. We all receive the gift of the Holy Spirit when you're saved. When you come to faith in Christ Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. It's not for a select group of believers. Uh, we've all received that, and the Bible says that he is a sign and a seal of our salvation. So it's not a question of whether or not you have the Holy Spirit. That's not at all. That's not even an issue. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you do have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. You know what's interesting? In Rome, in the Roman Empire, there was more than one way to become a Roman citizen. Fascinating. Uh, you'll recall in Acts chapter 22, a Roman commander, they've arrested Paul, and uh, Paul is speaking, and the, and the Roman commander says, hey, are you a Roman citizen? And then the, the, the commander, this Roman guy, he says this. Actually, I don't even think he was Roman. I don't know what he was. But he says, with a large sum, I obtained this citizenship. So he bought his citizenship. Who knows what, what part of the empire he was from. Um, but Paul says, but I was born a citizen. And that probably kind of threw off the guard a little bit because in Rome, uh, what was Paul was inferring or what's being inferred here is that uh, Paul being a born, a natural born citizen deserved more recognition than someone that was just, you know, they just purchased their citizenship. Um, because it's like there was a higher class of citizen in the Roman Empire. But it's not that way in the body of Christ. There are no super Christians. Likewise, there's no inferior Christians. We're all one under the, under the cross of Christ. So that's why Paul says whether Jews or Greeks whether slaves are free, and all have been made to drink into one spirit. And you just think back to their divisions that Paul mentions in chapter 1. Those divisions, by the way, they're artificial. That's what man set up. You know, I'm of Paul, I'm of Paulus, I'm of, you know, this or that. Uh, those were divisions that they created. It, they weren't real. It was just what they created. There is no divisions in the body, or there shouldn't be any divisions in the body of Christ. Look at verse 14. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. 
And I stole this quote from somebody. It says, the unity of the body of Christ is not a goal to achieve. It's a fact to be recognized. You know, sometimes we think, well, we got just got to, we got to just work at, we got to, we got to work at being unified. Well, the, the reality is we are one. We are, we are, uh, uh, we should be, we are. That's, we just need to recognize it and live our lives correspondingly. And so now he goes into verse 15, he says, If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? So, you know, the, the, uh, mentioned earlier, the physical, our physical body parts, the members of our body, they're different, uh, but they should not feel that they're not part of the body. In other words, what Paul is trying to communicate to the believers here, and I think what the Holy Spirit is trying to communicate to you and I today, is don't compare yourself to others. You look at someone else, you look at their gifts, their talents, their abilities, and you're like, man, I can't measure up to that. Don't compare yourself to others. Who are we to compare ourselves to? Jesus Christ, right? He's the, he's the example we're to compare ourselves to. He says there in verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? You see, each of us brings something unique to the body of Christ. Each of you brings something unique to the body of Christ, this local body of Christ we call Calvary Chapel, Rochester. You know, we each have a unique mix of spiritual gifts. I mentioned them in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. We each have our unique ministries, and that's in Ephesians 4.11. And you can watch that in action every Sunday morning and every Wednesday night. You can see different ministries in action. They just, they just happen. Um, we have, each of us have a unique manifestation of the, the energy, power, and effects of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we were talking about last week in verses 8 through tw uh, 10 of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So none of us have all the same gifts and all the same abilities and all the same ministries. We all have unique. Just think about it. If everyone had the exact same gift, the exact same calling, the same manifestation of the Holy Spirit, what would be missing? I wonder what would be missing. Verse 18. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. Let me ask you this rhetorically. When are the members of your physical body a part of your physical body? When does it happen? Does it happen like at certain, some point in your life, all of a sudden, there's an arm, you know, and there's a leg? No, it all happens before birth, right? We have what's known as DNA. Scientists have discovered it. It's, it's right, it's our blueprints. God uses the DNA. He designs us. It's, it's a plan. It's, it's what makes you unique. And uh, that DNA, it's all, all our body parts are prearranged by the DNA that God has uh, put within us. And so God designs and composes the members of the physical body. I have no choice. I had no choice to have two arms and two feet and two legs. And, you know, I, I didn't have any ch choice of what, what these things did. God designed that. And so it's the same with our spiritual body. God has a plan and a purpose. I love sharing that with these kids. And, you know, maybe I repeat it over and over again, but I want to drill it into their hearts and their heads. Hey, God has a plan and a purpose for you. And God has a plan and a purpose for each of us as adults as well, as members of the body of Christ. Look at first, excuse me, Ephesians 1 verse 4. 
says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. God knew you from the foundation of the world. That blows my mind. I can't even wrap my brain around that. God has given us all unique abilities and characteristics to fulfill his plan. Look at Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. From time, in, from, from time and eternity before, God had a plan and a purpose for you and for your life and for the ministries, that he, the abilities that he was going to give you, the gifts and the callings to fulfill a part of his plan, each one of us. But now, what's kind of interesting, skip down and look at verse 31. At the end of the, end of the chapter there, Paul says, earnestly desire the best gifts, right? We'll, and we'll talk about that later, of course. In chapter 14, verse 1, he says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. In verse 39 of chapter 14, he says, desire earnestly to prophesy. So if you look at those verses, it sounds like we have a choice, right? Which gifts and which, what, what, what gifts that we want to use or, or have. It sounds, he says, desire the best gifts. But then go back to chapter 12 and look at verse 11. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Down to verse 18. Now, but now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. So it sounds like two different things are taking place here. So what is it? Does God give us spiritual gifts according to his will? Or are we to seek certain spiritual gifts? Well, the answer is yes. <laughs> and let me give you an illustration. When we started this church, it was just a small, it started as a Bible study pretty much. And at that time, uh, I, I don't know if we had any musicians at the time. Well, Tracy and Dan were coming from the, almost the very beginning. Um, but we didn't have electronic keyboards, I know that. <laughs> and, uh, but anyways, our, our daughter, we have a daughter named Brandy. And uh, she, was, she just wanted to learn how to play guitar so she could do worship music. So she picked up a guitar, started learning it. And so she was, at the beginning, she was leading our worship. And, uh, and then she turned 18 and she moved up to St. Paul and uh, boom, there goes, there goes her. Well then, my next son, his name is Nathan. Some of you met him this past summer. He came out to visit with his wife, Marielle. Uh, he's a musician and him and Luke started playing together and they started leading worship. And I think at that time, Tracy was part of that too. And then uh, Nathan, he went to Bible college and got married and moved away. Hey, by the way, uh, for you parents, if you have any young parents with younger kids, if you raise your kids to be independent, they'll be independent. <laughs> That's one thing we've discovered. It's like our kids are like, okay, they're independent, they're out, you know? So it's like, maybe we should have made them a little bit more dependent on us. <laughs> so anyway, so okay, so our daughter Brandy left, then, then Nathan left, and now Luke. He's, he's becoming, you know, he's starting to become really gifted in, in playing music and, and uh, he was part of worship. And so uh, at that point I was like, man, I really feel like the Lord was calling him to be the worship leader. It's really, I mean, I just, it just felt that way very, very, very strongly. But at that point, 
Luke was like, you know, I'm not sure I want to stick around Rochester because he had already turned 18. He's like, you know, I think, and he started working for Mayo Clinic and, and it was like, I'm like, okay, well, here, there, there goes that person now. And, and uh, so what's going to happen? My will was that he stay here and lead worship for, for the church. But he turned 18, so I'm not going to tell him what to do. I mean, that, that was my will, but I didn't lay it on him. You know, like, you got to do this. I didn't pressure him at all. But one day he came up to me and he says, Dad, I've been praying about it, and I really feel like the Lord's calling me to be the worship leader at Calvary Chapel, Rochester. And I said, praise God. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I was about ready to jump. I'm like, woohoo, but I, but I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm glad you really prayed about it, you know, and stuff. <laughs> but here's, here's what I'm trying to illustrate. His desire ended up matching my will. And I think that's what Paul is saying here. God has a will for each one of us for the gifts and the call, but he wants us to desire those, those gifts that he's given us. And when our will matches, uh, or when our desire matches up with his will, man, I think God's blessed. I think that's what God wants. Um, let me give you another example, not in my life, but in the life of Moses. We, we went through the book of Exodus not too terribly long ago. In Exodus Exodus chapter 32, verses 9 through 10. The Lord is getting very frustrated with the children of Israel, and he says this, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. So, you know, God had delivered the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. He was going to turn, make them into a nation. And he's getting so frustrated with them because they're stiff-necked. They were disobedient. They were grumbling and complaining. Finally, God says to Moses, hey, just get out of the way. I'm going to wipe out those children of Israel. I'm going to make a, child, a nation out of you, the Mosaites, or whatever you want to, Mos, well, I don't know what you would call them, Mosrus, <laughs> whatever. You could think of whatever name, but um, yes, I did snort. <laughs> Now, the question is, did God really want to wipe out the children of Israel? It's kind of an interesting thing to think about. Well, what happened is, and I'm going to just read this to you. It's in Exodus 32. You don't need to turn there. You can if you want. Verses 11, it says, Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and in all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants that they shall inherit it forever." So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. That's a fascinating passage of scripture. But here's what I think is taking place. I think God was working in the life of Moses, turning Moses into an intercessor for his people. God's desire was that Mo God wanted to, wanted to spare uh, his children, even though he was frustrated with the children of Israel, God wanted to spare him, and he wanted Moses to become that intercessory, that interceder, that mediator, kind of a picture of Christ in, in quite quite a few ways, to stand in the gap and say, don't do that, Lord God. And, and so uh, Moses was being transformed. And so I think that's a picture here. Uh, God's will was Moses 
to become an intercessor. And, and then Moses stepped into that role. And I think it's the same with the gifts of the Spirit. God, God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. They're unique. We're not all the same. And yet he desires us to desire his will. And that's why I think Paul says, desire the gifts, you know, different gifts. God will, God'll, you know, whatever ones God has for you, it'll, it'll happen if you desire them, if you pursue them. God's not going to force you uh, to start, for example, prophesying against your will. He's not going to force you to do anything like that. He wants you to seek those gifts he has for you. And I believe his joy is complete when our, uh, our desires fall in line with his will for us. By the way, as we're on this chapter and on this subject, seeking and exercising the gifts of the Spirit, it's not an optional way of life for certain believers. You know, sometimes you think, well, you know, the gifts of the Spirit, they're for, they're for others. It's really not for me. Um, I can tell you it's the Lord's will for you personally, and it's the Lord's will for this church. Um, but you might be thinking, well, what if I don't want to seek the gifts of the Spirit? What if I, you know, I'm just, I'm happy. I'm happy as I am. I, you know, I, I love the Lord. I go to church. I, uh, I don't have a desire to change. Maybe you don't see a need to change. Listen. As far as this fellowship is concerned, as far as the body of Christ is concerned, the Lord's going to raise up uh, those with the needed gifts that he needs for whatever purposes, with or without you. He's going to do it. Um, there's a perfect example in the book of Esther. Remember, Esther became the queen of Persia, and uh, she was Jewish, and there was that plan to wipe out the Jews. Haman was the first you know, Adolf Hitler, in, in, he was like a prefiguring of Adolf Hitler, uh, wanting to completely uh, annihilate the Jewish race. And uh, Esther happened to be the, the queen there. And so her uncle Mordecai, remember, she, he said, you know, you need, to, you need to go before the king. You need to intercede for us. And Esther was, you know, if I don't go in there, if, if he doesn't, if, if I stand there and he doesn't recognize me, I'll be killed. He's got to want me to come into his presence. And Mordecai said this thing, and it's such an important thing. He says, um, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows what God has in store for each one of us here this morning? If you decide that, you, you know, I'm not going to pursue that, that's for somebody else, it's not for me, you're going to miss out on the blessing of being used by the Lord according to his will, um, his unique plan for your life. You're going to miss out on the blessing. Seeking and walking in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to be talking about this in the next uh, week or two, it's received and it's lived out by faith. You know, it's not like all of a sudden, and I, I don't want to go into it too much, but it's not like all of a sudden I get taken over and I, I have no control and I'm like, you know, oh, the Spirit's got a hold of me and I can't, you know. It's very interesting. It's received, the gifts of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's received and it's lived out by faith. It's walked out by faith. And so let me ask you this rhetorically. Do you want to grow in faith? Or do you want to just stay comfortable and yet be an undeveloped babe in Christ, because that's what, that's what it is. I'm sorry. Uh, listen, you're not mature 
in Christ because of your knowledge about faith. Sometimes we get that we think that, well, I'm mature because I have all this knowledge about faith. You're not mature in Christ because of your knowledge about faith. You mature in Christ when your knowledge translates into obedience when you're walking in steps of faith. That's when you mature. And so now about all these differences, you know, we look at the church down the street or we look at maybe even different people in this fellowship and they go, man, they're so different from me. But look what he says there in verse 19. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? If we were all exactly alike. Can you imagine giving birth, maybe you mothers can, giving birth to a, eight, a bouncing eight-pound baby foot? It'd be a tragedy. It's cute. <laughs> I like baby feet. But that'd be, that'd, be, that'd be a tragedy if you gave birth to an eight-pound baby foot. Listen, if we were spiritual clones of one another, that'd be a tragedy as well. Because think of what ministries, what, what, what uh, aspects of Christ would be missing in the body of Christ. We were all exactly the same. You know, the problem is, and, and it's, it's, it's easy to do, the problem arises when we view everyone through the lens of our own spiritual, uh, our own spiritual uh, gifting and ministries. You know, we start thinking everybody needs to think the way I think. I've got the helps ministry. Everyone should be thinking about taking part in whatever they can do to help out, you know. Or, uh, I, you know, I've got the teaching ministry. Everyone should be teaching and stuff. Or I have the gift of tongues. Everyone should be praying and speaking in tongues. We, we, that's, you know, everybody. And that's the problem. We start viewing everyone through our own spiritual gifting and ministries. Well, if everyone had the gift of tongues, who would teach? Who would administrate? Who would evangelize? And so verse 20 says, But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And maybe this is news for you guys, but the body of Christ is one, and yet it's bigger than you. There's many members, and we're all different. The body of Christ is one, and it's bigger than Calvary Chapel. That's an important thing, too, because some people think we're the only church. No, we're not the only church. There's a lot of other Bible-believing, born-again churches that they, they, they're great fellowships. They're just different than us. But they're still part of the body of Christ. In fact, here's another mind blower for some of us. The body of Christ is one, and yet it's bigger than Western Christianity as we know it. We have this concept of Christianity based on our culture. Go to another country. Go to a third world country and see what Christianity is like different. Oh, they're the same. In fact, it's fascinating. You go to a third world country and do ministry, and, and, and you'll meet a believer, and all, there'll be this connection. You know, It's just that fellowship that's there. And yet, ministry is totally different. The way they do church is totally different than the way we do it here. The body of Christ is one, and yet it's bigger than this generation of believers. That's another concept, you know. I think, like, like the, you know, the, the, the generations past, man, they had no clue. They were just, they were missing it, man. They weren't hip. But the fact is, it's bigger than just this generation, the generation that we know. Um, I think of the, the, the song, Give Me That Old Time Religion, you know, and Faith of Our Fathers. I mean, there's so much, so much richness there in the history of, of Christianity. Verse 21, and the eye cannot say to the hand, 
I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. Remember earlier I said this, and I think it's important. Don't compare yourselves to others. Don't feel inferior uh, because you don't have the same gifts that somebody else has or the same ministry or the same callings. You don't have the same abilities. Uh, they differ. Don't compare yourself to others. But now what Paul is saying, don't compare others to yourself. Everyone needs to see and do things the way I see and do things. And if they don't, then either they're spiritually inferior or worse, they're carnal, they're backslidden, they're tools of the wicked one. You know, we can get into this uh, because they're different than us. We have to be careful. Verse 22, no, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And I think a key word there is seem to be weaker. Doesn't mean that they are weaker, but they seem to be weaker. You know, and this is human nature. We tend to make a judgment of every person that we interact with in this fellowship, in your workplace, in the community. Uh, we make a, a judgment whether someone is important or not important. And we regard those that we deem important. We, we give them regard. It's just a natural thing. And we tend to disregard those that we think are less important. They're not as important. It's, it's just human nature. We tend to do that. Here's something that I would think is definitely not necessary, armpit hair. Man, I'm gonna read this to you. Some of you medical people might already know this. There are two types of sweat glands in your body, eccrine and apocrine. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but it's close. The latter of which are mostly in your armpits, explains Daniel Lieberman. He's a professor of human evolutionary biology at Harvard University. He says, you use apocrine for sexual signaling. Presumably, the hair holds on to the secreted odors so they'll stay around long enough for a potential mate to catch a whiff, he explains. So, having said that, single women, shave your armpits, man. We're <laughs> Married women, uh, I don't know, it's up to you. <laughs> okay, that was bad. Seriously. <laughs> Big toes. I've got two of them. I don't know about you guys. Hey, this is fascinating. And you can do this with just about any part of the body, but this is fascinating. Big toes, they provide additional leverage to the foot when it pushes off the ground during walking, running, or pedaling. You thought it was just there to stub into things. No, it's not. In conjunction with the little toe, which I think is fascinating, so a big toe works with the little toe, it assists in maintaining the body's balance while standing. The removal of the big toe would require the foot and ankle to be retrained to use different muscles to perform these functions. So your, your foot, it uses the big toe and the little toe to do balance. Now if the big toe is missing, it's got to compensate for it. And you think about it with the gifts of the spirit and the different uniques and abilities. If something's missing here, we got to kind of work around it. We got to kind of make it, you know, we got to adjust. Verse 23, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. 
Again, remember, Paul is using the metaphor of the human body to describe the church gathering. And so he says, members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. Remember I said earlier, we kind of judge people, you know, someone's important or not important. This is what Paul wrote in Romans 12, verse 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. There's no qualifier there. Paul didn't say give preference to someone above you or someone more important. There's no qualifier. He says give preference to one another, even those who you consider to be less spiritual than you. Give honor, give preference to them. Philippians 2.3, Paul says this, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. You know, we, sometimes we take these verses and we go, okay, I, I need to, you know, give honor to those that maybe I think are, you know, they're not as spiritual, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to treat them with honor. I'm going to give them preference. I'm, I'm going to esteem others better than myself. And we, we apply that and we think, okay, I'm coming to church and I got to do this with the members of the church. And then sometimes we forget to do that in our own homes, in our own marriages. And uh, it doesn't just apply to other people in your church. It applies to your co-heirs in your homes and in your marriage. Listen, Paul said this, or excuse me, Peter said this to the men, to the husbands. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, speaking of the wives, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. So in other words, husbands... God cares how you treat your wife. We don't just take it to church. Now I got I got to do this. In, no, we do this in the home as well. Earlier in chapter three, Peter said this, verse one: Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. And you might say, well, you know, he's not as spiritually mature as I am. So maybe you know, there's a qualifier there. There's no qualifier. Now, obviously, and we we could get into a whole another Bible study, but obviously, you don't submit. If your husband's an unbeliever and he's leading you into sin, you don't submit to the point of committing sin. That, that's kind of a, hopefully you have that understanding. But we're talking about godly men, godly husbands. There's no qualifier there. Verse 5, Paul said this, for, or excuse me, Peter said this, For in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. So just husbands, God cares how you treat your wives. Wives, God cares how you treat your husbands. So these things that we're reading, it's not just in the church setting. It's in the home as well. We just have to look at Jesus. Jesus said, whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. And then Paul says this, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. You know, there's many parts of the human body that are concealed. Many of them we call vital organs. They're on the inside. We don't see them, and yet they're vital to living. Think about what ministries we don't see visibly in the church and yet they're vital to the church. And one of them that comes right to my mind is intercessory prayer. How important 
prayer is to the spiritual well-being, the life of this church, and yet it's an unrecognized, you don't see it necessarily taking place. By the way, those of you that pray for this church or pray for me as a pastor, thank you. I, I, I can't do it without you. I seriously can't do it without you. Need your prayers. But he says, but our presentable parts have no need. And when I think of that, I think of people that have a, a, a visual, an upfront ministry. Of course, me, up front here. It's, you know, you see me week in and week out. The worship team, teachers. You know, think about this. In some ways, we're getting our rewards right here and now because we're being recognized. I think about the marriage supper of the Lamb. I think those of us who have been visibly recognized in this life, you know, I think I kind of think about that. It's like this long, long table, believers, all through the centuries. I think the worship leaders, the teachers, the pastors, we're all going to be way down there in the back 40 at the table. I think the people that are going to be closest to the Lord on the right and the left-hand side, I think those are the ones that have been lightly esteemed, who their ministries, no one ever knew about the ministry that they did, and yet they, they served faithfully and, and cheerfully, joyfully, and, they, and, and Lord God recognized it. We might not have recognized it, but the Lord God did. Just a mental picture I always have. You know, sometimes you think, well, somebody like Billy Graham, he's got to be right there in the front. No, I don't think so. I think he's going to be way in the back. Still rejoicing, sells a reward and everything, but in some ways I think... We get our recognition here. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. That's the Lord's heart, is that there would be no schism in the body, and that each member would have the same care for one another. You know, it happens naturally in our physical body, Right? My fist doesn't all start, start hitting me. Now, I had my grandson, Jonathan, on my lap because they, they came and visited a couple days this week. And he was sitting on my lap, and he was grabbing my hand, and he was trying to hit my face. So I'd let him do that. you know. And he was just getting the biggest kick out of it until he started using my fist. And I'm like, okay, we got to stop. So that, that was fun for a while. Now it's not quite as fun. Uh, but, you know, our body doesn't do that, right? Do you, do you go walking around kicking yourself in the, you know, in the leg or whatever? I don't do that. Sometimes I do when I'm joking around. But... Um, my, my, my body cares for itself. The, each members, they're all different. They have different purposes, different abilities, and yet they all protect me. <laughs> no part of our physical body only serves itself but the rest of the body, and it should be the same for the body of Christ. Verse 26, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you look at a verse like that, and personally, I think for most of us, I think that first part, it's pretty easy to do the first part. You know, somebody comes into the fellowship, and, uh, you know, they've, something terrible went on in their life, you know. We, we rally around and try to encourage them. You know, we've got the meal ministry if you're suffering. You know, you know, people are in hospital or something or just had a baby, whatever. That's not a bad thing. But, you know, when bad things happen, we, we got the, you know, we come around, we gather around, and we try to help each other out. I think it's pretty easy to do that. I think it's great that we do that, and I think it's good. Um, but I think, honestly, it's a little harder to do the second part. 
a little bit harder. If someone's blessed, it's harder to rejoice with them if we're dealing with envy in our hearts, if we're dealing with jealousy, or if we've got selfishness of ourselves, then it's a little bit harder. It's, it, you know, something, something bad happens, man, we can we'll pray with them, we'll try to meet them. But if something good happens, like, man, how come that didn't happen to me, you know? Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these first, excuse me, God had appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. So he says, God is appointing these church first apostles. And we talked about that two weeks ago, apostles. It's being uh, a sent one. That's what it literally means is the sent ones. And there were 12 apostles that had a unique ministry. They had a unique authority not to be duplicated. Ephesians 2.20, Paul says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The 12 apostles, their unique ministry, their unique calling was unique to them alone. They were the foundation. However, however, God is still calling and sending people to establish ministries in an apostolic sense. He's still sending people. He's still, you know, people still are being used in that kind of a ministry. But the, the 12 apostles had a unique, a unique place in the life of the church. They were part of the foundation of the church. Then prophets, he says. God used the foundation of the Old Testament prophets up to and including John the Baptist um, in a unique way with unique authority. Again, not to be duplicated. Ephesians 2.20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. However, <laughs> having said that, God is still speaking words of prophecy to his people and, and to the world through people that have that gifting. Prophecy, and we talked about it last week, it's revealing the heart and the mind of God to man. Not always foretelling, it can be forthtelling. Um, I would be, be honest with you guys, I'd really encourage you to exercise caution and discernment when someone takes on these titles. You know, uh, certainly someone says, I'm the prophet or I am the apostle. I, I'd even kind of, someone says, I'm the teacher <laughs> or, uh, you know, I am a miracle worker, a faith healer. By the way, these gifts, I talked about them last week and in the two weeks. If you weren't here and you're like, ah, oh, man, he's, what's he talking about? I encourage you to listen to the message because I really wanted to dig into that portion of it. So he says, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, and variety of tongues. A couple of them I want to highlight on. The other ones, you know, I, again, we, we went through these in depth, so I don't want to, but notice that gifts of healings. It's plural. Uh, it can be given or received. We talked about that last week. Certainly uh, uh, supernatural miraculous in many all healing is miraculous if you think about it but gifts and healings notice that they're both plural and so you think about it you think all healing even through medicine is a gift i believe um and then this thing about helps 
I like what Charles Spurgeon helps us. Someone hits, and we talked about that. You know, I gave the example of uh, my my falling headfirst into Larissa's guitar. Thankfully, it didn't happen. It wasn't a word of prophecy, but I said, you know, if I broke her guitar uh, and made a big mess on the stage, different people would run up doing different things based on their personality, based on their their giftings, their callings. There would be somebody that would be teaching me how not to do that, and the you know, there'd be somebody come alongside and say, hey, I'm going to spend the week with you. We're going to do this together, brother. You know, uh, someone else would uh, come up and they'd want to put a band-aid on my scraped knee or whatever. There'd be someone with the gift of helps that would be picking up all the pieces and cleaning up any mess and straightening up stuff. Um, that'd be helps. And I like what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, it strikes me that they were not, pers that they were not persons who had any official standing, but they were only moved by the natural impulse and the divine life within them to do anything and everything which would assist either teacher, pastor, or deacon in the work of the Lord. And he said this, they are the sort of brethren who are useful anywhere, who can always stop a gap, and who are only too glad when they can find that they can make themselves serviceable to the church of God in any capacity, whatever. That's the gift of helps. And I, I praise the Lord for those of you that have the gift of helps. They just step in. There's a need here. Man, they just step in and boom, they do it. That's, that's awesome. Um, the other gifts I didn't mention, I, I, I either covered them last two Sundays or in the case of tongues and prophecy, we're going to be talking about them uh, extensively uh, when we get to chapter 14 in particular. First Corinthians, excuse me, <laughs> verse 29. <laughs> well, Paul asks these questions, and it's rhetorical. Are all apostles? And of course, the answer is no, right? Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healings? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. Obviously, by now, we know the answer is no. We don't all have those same gifts. Again, remember, don't compare yourselves to others, and don't compare others to yourselves. But then verse 31, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. So the Holy Spirit gives gifts according to his will. Remember, we talked about that. And yet, Paul says, earnestly desire the best gifts. What are the best gifts? I think it depends on what God's, God's will is for you. But one thing I want to encourage you this morning, I want you to encourage you to pray for your gifts. If you don't know what your gifts and calling are, pray for them. And you receive them by faith. You know, we receive uh, our salvation by faith. It's the same with the gifts of the Spirit. You receive them by faith, and then you exercise your gifts, not only in faith, but you exercise them in love. And that's what Paul's going to be talking about next week. Because, again, the Corinthian church, man, they, they had their gifts. They knew what their gifts were. Uh, they were, it was like, it was amazing. And yet, they weren't doing it in love. And as Paul will say next week, and it doesn't matter what gifts you have. If, if, there's, if love's not there, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. So the, the, uh, the better way, of course, we're going to be looking at next week as well. Thank you so much.